Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 3, 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the New International Version. You can find this passage on page 38 in the Pew Bible. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel saw that though there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over there and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he, is, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hiviites, and Jerubasites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Jackson. Well, as Rosemary mentioned, though we don't have Kingdom Kids next week and the following, we do have it today. So those kiddos who are four years old through second grade can join Miss Marsha and our Kingdom Kids workers in the four-year. And they're going to have a great time over here in our education building where they are going to have a chance to worship and learn at their level. Parents, you can pick them up there after the service today. Hey, before we pray, our world is kind of going through some stuff right now. And I know many of you have been paying attention to what's happening in Ukraine with the Russian invasion and... You know, if you're a part of our church family, you know, I, I don't really get involved in world politics and all the things going on in the world that often because I'm just focused on what is God doing right here. But when things happen in the world, it does have an impact on what's going on right here. And I don't know if, if you've seen, but I have seen uh, on, uh, on the Internet or on media news, you've seen... Uh, not only what's happening, but you also have seen what's going on in the church in Ukraine. That We have many brothers and sisters in Christ in both countries, truth be told. Um, and they are going through something in Ukraine that's unique and, and uh, very challenging. And I've seen Christians gathering for worship in those places. And, uh, and I, I thought, you know, we need to at least uh, take a moment and pray. If you go to our Facebook page, Rosemary had put out a, 
um, a sheet from the IMB that talks about some ways in which we can be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are caught up in this uh, conflict. And so I encourage you to go there and see some specific things to pray for. But of course, you know, um, ultimately God wants peace in the world. And that is where God is heading. And sometimes, um, you know, it, we can become very comfortable and it's easy here. And, and uh, really what that should drive us to do is thank God, right, that we live in a country where you and I don't have to fear to come to worship. And uh, nevertheless, um, that comfort can sometimes lull us into the idea that um, that, that is just a given. It's just a, something we can take for granted, and it is not. And I think these moments that happen in the world and we're watching that, it reminds us that we should not take these things for granted. And it also reminds us to be praying for God's ultimate peace to rest on this world. And so I want to invite you to join me in that as we also turn our eyes to God's word in Exodus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come uh, this morning and so much going on in our own lives. It can be hard sometimes to look up and see what's happening in the world around us. And yet, God, what is happening in between Ukraine and Russia is something that we just cannot ignore. And uh, it is uh, a frightening scene, the things that have been put in front of our eyes. God, they concern us. And we know that every person, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their nationality, no matter the language they speak, no matter their gender, It does not matter who they are or how much they have or how many people know their name. Every single human being is made in your image and valuable to you. No amount of sin on our behalf can can scratch out that image that you have planted on us. And so we pray for those who are hurting and those who are doing the hurting. Now we pray for your peace. God, it does remind us of how blessed we are. We just sang about it, Lord. God, you have blessed us in 10,000 plus ways. God, we are so grateful for the freedoms and the protection we have. We know that that is not the case for many. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are worshiping even in the midst of war. They're gathering in subway tunnels and makeshift shelters to lift up the name of Jesus. Father, how can we do any less in the comfort of this place but to lift up the name of Jesus, to set aside all things, as your word says, all the sins that hinder us, entangle us, and slow us down, and look forward to a prize that is in Christ that we we could not earn and we cannot lose. Set our minds on your word now. And we might be able to clear away at least enough of the distractions. That we can see what you are saying through the scriptures. That you might soften our hearts that we would receive the message. Without excuse or without being able to turn a blind eye to what you're calling us to. But we would receive it and steady our hands to go from this place and live it. This is what we ask. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as many of you are aware, we are going through a Bible reading plan together. Uh, If you want to get on that plan, just go to fbckennedy.org slash Bible. 
You'll find the plan is there. You can download it or we have it in printed copies. We still have some printed copies out and around on some of these tables in the back of the foyer where the lamp is or in the, uh, or in the foyer or in the back of the uh, sanctuary where the lamp is on that table. You'll be able to find a, a copy of that. And if you don't, let me know and we'll get you a physical copy. But if you do go to the website, you can download it. And I just encourage you guys, if you uh, have not been doing the Bible reading plan with us, just jump in on today. It's all dated. So just pick up on February, what is today, the 28th, 27th, I'm a day ahead, all right, 27th. Just pick up on February 27th and all that you've missed these past couple months, just as you have time, you can get caught up. Nothing wrong with that, okay? And it's meant to be an introductory plan, and so if you've never done this before, this plan is built for you, okay? It's three chapters a day, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and one from either Psalms or Proverbs. Once we finish uh, Psalms, we'll then get into Proverbs, and then we'll go back to Psalms and Proverbs once again. So we'll read through Psalms and Proverbs twice. We'll read through, select, uh, it doesn't take you through every single verse of the Bible, I should say that, but it takes you through large portions of the Bible. And so you have read a majority of the Bible by the time we're at the end of this year. And uh, it'll take us through New Testament select passages a couple times and Old Testament once. Um, but because uh, the last good bit of preaching I have done has come out of the New Testament, I wanted to really kind of focus in on some of these amazing stories of God's people that we find in the Old Testament. So what I'm doing each Sunday is I'm just kind of picking a portion of what we read the previous week, and I'm preaching on that portion uh, or on that section of Scripture. And so just like we kind of did with the stories of uh, Jacob and Joseph, and we're going to do kind of the same thing, but now we're in Moses, and Mo- the story of Moses is going to take a while to unpack. So today we're going to look at Moses, his early life, his calling into ministry, and kind of what happens in between those two things. And I think that that's going to challenge us because God called Moses into a very particular task and into a very particular role in a very particular time in Israel's life. But see, God is calling each and every one of us. He has given us a great challenge. Life is meant to be an adventure. Listen, if you're bored with life, then you're not living the Christian life because the Christian life is a life of adventure. God has called each and every one of us on that adventure. Sometimes that adventure can feel a little dull and boring, but we always can set our sights higher and see, I'm not just trying to keep my kids fed, I'm trying to raise followers of Christ. That's an adventure, right? I'm not just going to a job where I work, I'm going as a missionary into a place where people may not know the Lord and by my example and the words I use, I can be a witness in that place. See, everything I do has a higher calling and purpose and God is calling you into that. Nothing you do is small. No part of your life is insignificant. God is calling you into every role that you have to be like Christ, to share Christ with others. And as you're doing that, uh, it's helpful to see, well, how did that play out in the life of other people? How did God's calling play out in the life of Moses? What was it like for him? Because I want to tell you guys, when we read these stories in the Bible, they're not just stories, like story time with our kids at night, if you have kids or grandkids, you don't just pick out a book and tell a fairy tale. These are real people. This really happened. There was a Moses. Thank God that there was. He raised him up. But what would it have been like to be Moses? To live his life and to experience his calling. We want to get a little taste of that today. Because like Moses, you and I are called. Sometimes it looks like big stuff. Sometimes it feels like small things. But truth be told, when we are called to do the will of God, it's not small at all. So I think we have some things we can learn from the life of Moses. 
But we almost didn't have a life of Moses. Uh, If you have been reading along, you know the beginning of Exodus tells us uh, what's taking place in in the life of Israel as they are in Egypt. Uh, God has brought the people, his people, to Egypt. They were brought there under friendly circumstances, even though there was a world famine going on, if you, if you remember. Joseph brought his family, his brothers and his father to the land where they could have enough food to eat because of this uh, extended famine that was going on. And that's how Israel got placed in Egypt. And Exodus 1 tells us that Israel expanded. God's people grew. There was lots of them. And pretty soon the Egyptians start looking around and they notice, hey, you know, these, this little tribe is becoming more and more and more. Now what we see in the Bible is that's the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham. That I'm going to make your descendants like, uh, like the stars in the sky, like, like uh, particles of sand on the beach. I mean, that's how big I'm going to make your extended family in the years to come. And now it's happening even in Egypt, even away from the promised land of Canaan is taking place. But the Israelites uh, are, are there and the Egyptians are noticing their growth. And the Egyptians, so they look at each other and say, you know, if these guys ever decide they don't like us, there's a lot of them and they're right next to us. This could be a real problem for us. And so what they do is they put them under slavery And they give them this task of making bricks. And they have this menial, back-breaking job. And they they are slaves in Egypt. The slavery that they were under didn't keep them down. They kept continuing to grow and multiply. But eventually it became so much that they, they couldn't take it. They began to cry out to God and ask God for help. Well, in the midst of this... Uh, the Pharaoh, which is like the king of Egypt, says they're, they're, they're growing too great. We need to do something about it. And so his great plan was every time what, what the Israelites are also known by another name, the Hebrews. Every time one of these Hebrew babies are born, if it's a boy, we're going to kill it. If it's a girl, we'll let her live. That was their game plan. And so they got what were known as midwives that would help with the birthing process. They told these midwives, that's what you're going to do. And the midwives, the scriptures say, the midwives, they feared God and they weren't going to go against God. And so they would, it's kind of funny. They would say, you know, these, these Hebrew ladies, they just, they're very vigorous. They give birth like that. Like you don't even see it coming. Boom, there's a baby. We don't have time. We didn't have time to take care of the problem as you instructed us to. And Pharaoh knows what's up and he says, okay, fine. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to drown them in the river now. I mean, it's very ugly. It's very, very dark, isn't it? Well, that's his plan. And so there's one particular family, one particular mother who sees that her baby boy is healthy, beautiful, does not want his fate to be the fate of so many others, and so she makes a basket for him, makes sure it's a waterproof basket, puts the baby in it, floats it down the river. And none other than the Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby in this basket and knows what's going on. She knows that it's one of the Hebrew babies, and, and she finds a, a young girl nearby. Now, the young girl is actually the baby's sister. And the baby's sister has been watching her brother float down the river, wondering what will happen to him. And so she comes over to the princess and, uh, and the princess says, well, can you, know, can you find someone to care for this baby? And the, and the sister's like, yeah, I know somebody. 
I know somebody. And so she takes the baby back to Moses. And this is Moses, of course, takes the baby, Moses, back to Moses's mother. And Moses's mother is able to not only care for him, but she's actually paid by the princess to do it. Now, a time will come when the baby is weaned and grown up and uh, old enough for the baby to leave uh, Moses's biological mother and move into the palace. Well, Moses knows who he is. I don't know how he knows. Maybe it's by his own looks and appearances. Maybe his mother told him the story. But he knows that he's not an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew or an Israelite. And he's out one day and he's seeing uh, something transpire that had to be a daily occurrence. He saw one of his very own, another Hebrew, being beaten by an Egyptian. A slave being beaten by a slave driver, right? And so what does he do? He comes to the defense of his own. Kills the Egyptian, buries the body. Right after that, he comes along a dispute between two of his own. Two Hebrews or two Israelites. And he tries to break that up and say, hey, let's not fight with each other. You know, we're, we're one family. And they say, oh, oh, you're going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian. And, and, and at this point, Moses knows the story's out there. No, no dead body stays buried, right? And so he knows that he's got to leave town because life, his life is now at risk. And in fact, the scriptures tell us Pharaoh looks to kill him. And he leaves town. He goes to Midian. And we see just these parts of his story begin to get pieced together. You see the decisions he makes and the way he reacts to crisis. You, you begin to understand God has pieced this guy together to be Israel's leader. God could see it and we can see it even though early on Moses could not see it. In fact, as soon as he gets into, Midian, into the land of the Midianites, he, he comes to a well and there's these ladies at the well and then they get driven away from the well by other people who come to, to uh, water uh, their sheep and, and Moses jumps to their rescue. Make sure that these ladies are able to, to, in fact, he's the one that waters their flock for them. And then he, able, he comes home with them and uh, the father of those ladies makes sure that, uh, that Moses is, uh, is welcome into his home. And then, in fact, gives one of his, one of his daughters in hand, uh, gives her hand in marriage to Moses. And Moses is married. And that's kind of gets us caught up to Exodus chapter 3. I'm pointing this out because I want you to see that in Moses' life history... You see these windows of who he is at his core. We can see it. And God saw it. But as we're going to find out, Moses had a hard time with that. You know, that can be like us. You know, other people can see who we are, what we're made of, what God's called us to. And maybe we have a hard time with it. We can sense God's leadership in our life to make, to enter into this or go in that direction or take up this cause or serve in this way and we may not exactly see it the way God sees it and the way others see it. Well, I want to tell you, if that's you, that certainly has been me in my life. Moses is of great comfort to us. Let's look at how he reacts. We're going to pick up in chapter 3 of Exodus and we're going to just follow along from where Jackson left off in verse 10. And I think there's four uh, ways we can Uh, Just kind of follow along in this calling of Moses. And it's the questions that he essentially asks God. He asks God four questions. Who am I? 
Who are you? What about them? What about me? Oh, I got a fifth one. How about somebody else? Okay. Who am I? Now, Moses sees this bush burning, but it's not burning up. He approaches it and God speaks to him from the bush. And he calls Moses to be the leader that Israel needs in order to escape the slavery they are under in Egypt. And if you can imagine, Moses has seen both sides. He's been in the palace and he knows what it's like in Pharaoh's own household. And yet he is a Hebrew and has been out on the streets and seen how his own people are treated. He has a unique vantage point. And from that vantage point, he says to God, you've got the wrong guy. I see what's happening in this messed up, broken place. And I'm not the one for the job. God speaks to him from the bush and says, I've heard the cries of my people. And you are the one that is going to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, I got to point this out. This is not the same Pharaoh as the Pharaoh he grew up under that wanted him dead. That Pharaoh had passed away. There's a new Pharaoh in the land. Nevertheless, he understood the stature of Pharaoh in Egypt. He understood the place that Pharaoh had. And he's not one you just walk up to and talk to. Especially if you're just someone like Moses. And so Moses begins by saying, Who am I that I should do this thing? That I should go talk to Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites from Egypt. But what does God say? I think it's a very important thing for us to see in this story. And it goes along with our own life story. Is that we say to God X, Y, and Z. But what does God say? God invites us to come and share our doubts and our fears. Our frustrations, our anguish. He wants to hear from us. But what does God say? It can't end with us just pouring our hearts out. Sharing our doubts. Questioning our call. Can't end with that. We have to move on and ask the question, but what does God say? And in the life of Moses, what does God say? Verse 12. God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. You would think that would be enough for Moses to know God is with me. But let's be honest, if you've gone through tremendously difficult times or if God has asked you to do something that is incredibly scary to do, just hearing God is with us, sometimes it doesn't feel like enough. And that's where Moses is at. God gives him a little more. He says, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, if I'm Moses... And I hear God say, I'm with you. And when you get through it, you'll see that. I I would say, could I have a little proof here and now? Before we get to the mountain, after the victory, after the exodus, could I have something here and now? And God says to us sometimes, you won't know till you get to the other side. You got to go through it before you see that God was with you all the way. 
You may know it intellectually, but there may be a needed experience of going through the trial that you may not see that God was with you until the other side. And that seems to be something that's happening here with Moses. God says, I'm going to be with you and you're going to know it because we're going to get back over here and we're going to worship together when this whole thing is over. But Moses says, okay, verse 13, let's suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, his own people, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Remember the questions. The first one Moses asked is, who am I? God's response is, I'm with you. And you'll see that my presence has been with you the entire time when this is all over. And then God says, the answer to the question, who are you? Moses says, okay, so you're going to be with me, but who are you? If I go to my own people and I say, God has told me to do this, what name do I give them when they ask or if they ask? So he says, essentially, who am I? And then, well, who are you, God? Again, God answers. God says to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, this is a very interesting part of Old Testament history. This is where we get what we call the personal name of God. And it's derived from that statement. I am who I am. Or in some translations, it may read, I will be who I will be. In other words, God is saying, I am sufficient. I am, I am in total the creator of all there is. I am not only the God of your people, I'm the God of all things. I reign supreme. And that's where we get that name Yahweh from. If you've heard that before, it comes from this statement, I am who I am. I am. And in your Bibles, often you'll see the... Hebrews had such reverent respect for that name Yahweh that they would actually not even write Yahweh into their scriptures. Instead, they would write Lord with capital L-O-R-D. Anytime you read through, particularly the Psalms, as you're reading through those, you may see that title of God written out L-O-R-D, all in caps. That was their way of showing reverent respect for the personal name of God, Yahweh. They wouldn't even say the name. They would come up with an alternative name to put in its place. Because this was the personal name of God. So he says, I am sufficient God that I am. That is who you are to tell them since you. Still not enough for Moses. To know God's personal name and to be able to tell that name to his people was still not enough. We find him questioning again in verse 1 of chapter 4. 
Moses is asked the question, who am I? He's asked the question, who are you? And now he says, well, what about them? Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And say the Lord did not appear to you. Again, he's talking about when he approaches his own people and says, God has given me this mission and I am his chosen leader to bring us out of slavery in Egypt. And what if they don't listen? What about them? What if they don't listen to me, God? And what's God's response? God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that staff, throw it on the ground. And Moses did, and it turned into a what? You remember the story? What did it turn into? A snake. And then he picked the staff back up, and it turned back into a staff. And then he says, okay, and if you know that doesn't work out, put your hand in your cloak and bring it out. And when he brought it out, his hand was, lep- was uh, covered in leprosy. Flaky and why? It was a terrible disease. He put his hand back in his cloak, brought it back out. His hand was whole. And God said, now if they don't pay attention to those two, you just take a little blood or take a little water from the river. You pour it on the ground, it will become blood. I'm going to give you the signs that you need in order to see. I'm going to give you some miraculous ability in order to affirm your calling in the presence of your own people. And so Moses walks through, he does all of this, but he still has questions. He says, but God, you don't understand. What about me? It's a little bit of a different question than who am I? Now he's asking something very specific about what about me and my insufficiencies? He actually says this multiple times. First one noted in verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Later on in chapter 6 verse 12. Moses says to the Lord. The Israelites will not listen to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. Further into that same chapter in verse 30. Moses says again to the Lord. Since I speak with faltering lips. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? So now at least three times. Moses references his insufficiencies for the task. And what is God's response? God says, who gave you a mouth to speak? Back to chapter 4, verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you What to say? Moses is running out of excuses. And in verse 13, he finally just lays it on the line. And he just says, Lord, can you please send someone else? Chapter 4, verse 13. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. See, God has given us an assignment. Just as he gave Moses. And here's the great message I take from the life of Moses is that we can focus on ourselves in that assignment. What we can do, what we can't do. What we're lacking, what we don't have, we can focus on that. Or 
We can focus on the promises of God. There's going to be some places where God calls you into and it's going to feel hard. And if you just focus on what you can do, what you can't do, what you have, what you don't have. When God calls you into your family to be that missionary, into your school to be that missionary, into your workplace to share the love of Jesus. It's going to feel much bigger than you. And the temptation when God has called us into a life that feels much bigger than we can handle is we look at what we can and can't do. And the story of Moses, in a a way, it, it gives us comfort to know we're not alone in that. Even the great leader Moses had these doubts and had these questions. And in the end, he just wanted, please, God, just let someone else do this. I don't want to be the one to walk into that place and shine the light of love. To be Christ in these hard places. To live the gospel when it costs me something. I don't want to do that. Please, just Send someone else. And God says, you know what? I'm going to send someone with you. I've already said I'm going to be with you, but I understand you need somebody with some flesh and blood, someone to stand next to you, another person. He says, listen, I'm going to send Aaron with you, your relative. And he, he will do the speaking. All the way through, God gives Moses reasons to say yes. And yet Moses keeps saying no. And I just want you to pause for a moment and think about, is there something God is calling you into that's bigger than you that might be frightening and scary? And maybe your your focus has been simply on what you cannot do, what you don't have. That's where your mind goes to is you. And see, that's the problem. That's the problem Moses had. He, he, He looked at himself. He looked at others. What will they say? What will they think? Will they listen? When all along God is telling him again and again, no, keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus here. Look up. Not in, not out. Look up. Look up to me. I am with you. I will give you the words. I will give you the help you need. I'll even give you miraculous abilities. I'll give you all of that stuff in order to accomplish what I've called you to do. And that, I think, is exactly the same promise you and I have from Scripture. Is when God has called you to something, He will give you everything you need to get through that something. That He does not leave it up to you. But He is involved in your calling. Whether it's calling into marriage or into parenthood or into your workplace or your school place. Wherever he is calling you into. In those challenging places that he is beckoning you. He is going to give you all that you need. But you're going to struggle like Moses did if you just think about what you don't have. You're going to struggle like Moses did if you think about what other people think about you. But if we keep our eyes on God. If we keep drawing our attention back to him, you know what we see? We see a big God. We see an I am who I am. That's what we see. An all-sufficient God, a powerful God, a creator God who lacks nothing. And has all the wisdom the world could offer. So he knew what he was doing when he called you into whatever he's calling you into. He's not blinded by your weaknesses. He knows. 
But he is who he is. He is sufficient for us. So what is God calling you into? How have you been resisting that? And let me encourage you. Look to God. Not to yourself. Not to others. Look to him. Reminding yourself of who he is. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I I believe that your word has taught us that every person you have called into your service in one way or another. Sometimes for special moments in our lives. Sometimes in big ways or small. You're calling us into something. And I'm so thankful, God, that your son Jesus shows us that We can't earn that calling. He shows us that it's all grace. It's the message you shared with Moses. It's about you, not us. It's about what you can do, not about what we can't do. So God, I pray that we would lay down the excuses. We would get our eyes off of ourselves. We quit worrying about what others might think. And we would simply listen to what you have called us into. We would claim the promises of scriptures that you have given us. Not just here, but in many places where you have told us that you will be with us. Just as your son Jesus told the disciples, I will be with you wherever you go, even to the ends of the world. God, as we enter into our corners of the world to share the love of Jesus, to be like Christ in dark places, to shine his light. Reflecting him to others. God, in all this you would be glorified. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.